In the early 1900s, a discovery was made in Australia that would ignite much controversy. Etched in rocks in Queensland were a multitude of hieroglyphs that resembled those found in ancient Egypt. For years, the glyphs were a center of controversy. To those witnessing the glyphs firsthand, it was proof that ancient Egyptians had visited Australia. To Egyptologists, the glyphs were deemed some sort of forgery, and the general archaeological consensus was that they were simply carvings done in the 1920s by enthusiastic people fascinated by mummies. But then, artifacts such as large stone carvings started being discovered, as well as small artifacts like amulets. Again, they were simply dismissed as forgeries, and that they were just most likely carved in rock, forgotten, and discarded for nearly a hundred years. There are, however, some artifacts showcased in museums in Australia that perhaps show ancient Egyptian symbols such as the Atun sun carved into a sacred stone. In 1912, a farmer digging a fence hole found a bronze coin deep in the ground minted in Egypt between 221 and 204 BC. Skeptics claim that although the coin was indeed real, it must have been dropped there by a miner who had collected it in world travels and it was buried for years under the soil. But beyond the glyphs and the carved rocks and the multitude of artifacts and the misplaced coin lies many bigger artifacts and according to some researchers, even lost pyramids. This is Unsolved Mysteries of the World, Season 5, Episode 14, Ancient Egyptians in Australia. It could be one of the most significant sites on Earth, the Standing Stones, Australia's Stonehenge. But today it remains a mystery. The incredible ancient stone arrangement was explored in 1939 by Frederick Slater, the former president of the Australian Archaeological and Education Research Society. The mound is one of the oldest, I should say the oldest, forms of temples in the world, and dates back to the Paleolithic Age, with the advent of first man, Slater is believed to have written. The mysterious site is believed to contain 181 standing stones, including sandstone rocks that don't appear to have occurred there naturally, because the closest sandstone deposit lay more than 20 kilometers away, and at the time there were no tools to move them that distance. The site remains a mystery even to this day, having been destroyed in the 1940s, and its exact location only known to a select few who are now researching the stone structure. Some researchers point out that this very unnatural stone structure for Australia was actually a sacred place for Egyptians. In the 1950s, an Egyptian sun disk was discovered carved into a cliff face high above the ground. The carving featured the outline of a chariot showing one of its wheels. The carving was dismissed by academics, claiming it must be a fraud. In 1965, a cache of hand-forged Egyptian bronze, copper, and iron tools, plus pottery and coins dating back more than 2,000 years were found. Again, academics claimed the find was a fraud. A scarab beetle, carved from onyx, was dug up near the Nipion River, just outside Penrith, in the 1970s, where people believe nearby is the Penrith Steppe Pyramid. Although researchers say the scarab is indeed real, they question the pyramid site. But nearby this so-called pyramid, a man dug up broken ancient Egyptian pottery. 
but academics say he most likely planted the material to make the find himself. In the 1980s, near the Hawkesbury River by Sydney, ancient Aboriginal rock carving were discovered depicting a ship reminiscent of a vessel sailed by the Phoenicians and Egyptians from the Red Sea coast into the Southeast Asian waters in search of trade and minerals, centuries before the first European explorers put to sea. Similar rock carvings by Aborigines had been found in the Kimberleys, the Arnhem Land, and the Cape York. Also in the 1980s, two fossilized skulls identified as being of two distinct late Java man types unrelated to the Aborigine were found in Bathurst. Aboriginal tales of apparent Spanish visitors still exist in the Grafton Clarence River District for generations, and they believe that a huge canoe with sails ventured up the river from the coast bearing many white-skinned culture heroes in garments of stone. In 1931, in the Northwest Kimberley, Professor A.P. Elkin, professor of anthropology at Sydney University, came upon a tribe of Aborigines who had not met a white man before. The professor was astounded when the tribal elders greeted him with ancient secret Masonic hand signs. He was struck by the startling Semitic features present in the natives. He discovered the Aborigines worshipped the sun. They also had an earth mother and a rainbow serpent cult. Later, he discovered many of the words spoken were of Egyptian origin. This is the area of the famous Wangina cave art. According to the legend, the Wangina came from across the Indian Ocean in great vessels. There are literally thousands upon thousands of examples that reflect that perhaps our history and our perspective of history is flawed. Are all of these thousands of examples simply frauds, misplaced, and lost objects are misrepresentations? Some scientists and archaeologists are actually looking into alternative histories. Australian scientist Ian McIntosh, currently professor of anthropology at Indiana University in the United States, is stirring up the archaeological community. The scientist has revisited the location where five coins were found in the Northern Territory in 1944 that have proven to be a thousand years old opening up the possibility that seafarers from distant countries might have landed in Australia much earlier than what was currently believed. Did explorers from distant lands arrive on Australian shores way before James Cook claimed it for the British throne in 1770? We do know already that Captain Cook wasn't the first white seafarer to step on Australia's shores. In 1606, a Dutch explorer named Willem Janszoon reached the Cape York Peninsula in Queensland, closely followed a few years later by another Dutch seafarer, Dirk Hartog, and the Spaniard Louis Vaz de Torres discovered the strait between Papua New Guinea and Australia, which was later named Torres Strait in his honor. So if the Dutch and the Spanish visited the shores of Australia, who is to say that another great empire had not done so before them? It kind of reminds me that we recently discovered that Vikings had visited North America long before Columbus discovered it. In 2014, an archaeological group known as Past Masters uncovered a surprising find at a remote island in Australia's Northern Territories. They found an ancient coin from China suggesting that the Chinese had also sailed down to Australia and traded with their aboriginals. 
At this time, I would like to take a quick break to tell you about a website that allows you to search for the cheapest car rentals. Searching for the cheapest and best car rental just got a whole lot easier. Rent from the big brands you know and trust, and easily find the best rate without the hassle. You can rent a car in over 53,000 locations in over 160 different countries. You get the same great cars, but at a lower price. There are no booking fees or hidden costs. You're using the world's largest car rental agency, and most rentals come with free cancellation. Booking is easy and secure. Within minutes, you will have the best rental car options at the best price. If you need to make any changes to your booking, each booking comes with free amendments and phone support. You are basically getting the same great rental cars at discounts of up to 70% off. No one else can compare to the selection and price. To find the cheapest car rental, visit www.experiencethis360.com. At the top links, you will see a link called Best Travel Deals. Click that and use the drop-down menu that reads Best Rate Car Rental. Links will also be available in the show notes. Again, that's www.experiencethis360.com. Now back to the podcast. To Australian researcher Rex Gilroy, there is no doubt that ancient Egyptians lived on the continent. He has researched and documented many archaeological sites, including one called the Gimpy Pyramid. He writes, It seems strange that, despite overwhelming evidence of the contrary, conservative scholars in Australia cannot bring themselves to accept that maritime peoples of the ancient world were familiar with our shores, not hundreds, but thousands of years before the Age of Magellan. They feel embarrassed every time some impossible pyramid's old world rock inscription or a relic is found in Australia to refute their outdated arguments. Their embarrassment must be growing not only from the vast amount of relics described in my book, but also from all the other evidence coming to light worldwide. New Zealand also goes ignored. My book shows how wrong they are. The fact is, there is enough evidence of ancient civilization contacts with Australia and its island neighbors to rival, even surpass the pre-Columbian discovery and colonization of the Americas. For many years before I met my wife, Heather, in 1972, I had struggled on alone, writing newspaper articles and sometimes doing radio interviews about Australia's hidden history, trying to make Australians aware of their unknown past of Stone Age races which had preceded the Aborigines to this continent before the Dutch Mariners or even Lieutenant James Cook. My lone field searches for ancient rock inscriptions were mostly unsuccessful to begin with, and when I did begin discovering these, my efforts, when published, were met with derision from university historians who did not even think it necessary to give me the decency of an unbiased examination of my finds. Yet, as I was to find in the writings of the ancients, there were many references to a great southern landmass located in the southernmost region of the world, often described as the Lost Paradise. Even here I find obstacles from biased academics who would phone radio stations and newspaper offices persuading gullible journalists not to interview or publish my findings, often impressing them with a list of their degrees and exposing my amateur status. 
In those early days of my struggle, the growing amount of finds being made by people around Australia, particularly of ancient Egyptian, Phoenician, Libyan, Celtic, and other Bronze Age period relics and rock inscriptions, convinced me that these people were more than mere casual visitors to Australia, and that the search for minerals, precious stones, and other important commodities had to have been their purpose in coming here. The emphasis in my research thus turned from investigating scattered rock inscriptions and odd relics to the uncovering of colonies, which I rightly believe would have been established in mineral-rich regions. In 1972, I met my wife Heather, and we soon became a team intent upon searching for and uncovering evidence of colonization of this land by the peoples of the ancient world. Our first big breakthrough came in 1975. Earlier, in 1970, I had been sent a photograph of a strange ironstone image by Mr. Barry of Gympie in southeast Queensland. Mr. Barry, a farmer, had been plowing his field one day in 1966 when he unearthed the fragmented remains of what he realized to be some sort of idol. After cementing it together, he found it to be the form of a squatting ape. He also found that he had torn up sandstone blocks which had formed a base upon which the idol had stood. Mr. Barry, soon afterward, stored the relic away in his shed. However, after reading an article by me on ancient civilization contacts with Queensland, he sent me the photograph in 1970. It was not until October of 1975 that, together with Heather, I was able to make the trip to Gympie. Upon inspecting the relic, I realized it to be a crude depiction of Toth, the god of writing and knowledge of ancient Egypt, in ape form. Carved between the squatting legs of the image was the hieroglyph of the papyrus flower, Toth's symbol as the god of writing, while on the back were several weathered hieroglyphs of what we now know today to be mixed Egyptian and Phoenician script. Toth, I knew, had been depicted as an ape prior to around 1000 BC, when he became an ibis-headed human-body deity who recorded the judgment of the dead in the afterworld. Gimpy was first officially settled in the 1850s, during which time farmers began turning up some remarkable finds, mystery rock inscriptions, ancient tools of copper and bronze, as well as pottery of ancient Middle East origin. It was enough for many of the inhabitants to suggest that British colonists were not the first people to settle this area. Gympie came to prominence in 1867 when James Nash scooped up some gold nuggets from a dry creek bed, quickly turning the district into Queensland's most famous gold field. By 1909, 51 companies were mining gold around the area. The region is also rich in copper and tin, as well as jasper, agate, and other gemstones. Prospectors exploring the nearby forest-covered mountains and gullies made some startling discoveries in the early years following James Nash's gold strike. Remains of ancient open-cut gold and copper mining operations were uncovered just outside of Gympie. At these sites were sometimes found various implements of copper and bronze, later identified as being of ancient Middle East origin. The number of relics, rock inscriptions, and traces of extensive gold, copper, and tin mining hereabouts, as well as extensive open-cut agate mining operations, that were discovered between Gympie and Margon, and numerous ancient stoneworks convinced Heather and I that the district had once been the site of a Bronze Age Middle East mining colony. 
And even though Rex has proposed this, there have been no major archaeological excavation sites of the Gympie Pyramid. An archaeological survey was undertaken by Michael Morewood in 1967, and he attributed the construction of the terraces to Italian wine growers or other immigrants in the 19th century. This idea, however, was laid to rest by Greg Jeffries, who did a survey while being a student in 1990 and another survey in a limited excavation in 2007. Jeffries found that the terraces were in some cases constructed with very heavy stones, some excess of one ton in weight, and the terraces were too high for cultivation, the more so when you considered that they became more pronounced towards the top of the pyramid. Inspection of the soils in the terraces also revealed only poor or rather thin native soils. It became sandy in the top trenches and shows no sign of backfilling with more fertile soils. There is no trace of old vine stems, roots, or trellises such as one would associate with former vine cultivation, and there is no equipment for winemaking in the way of vats or any material scattered about. There would have been a major problem with watering the terraces also, and there is no visible sign of any of these pipes or pumps that would have been necessary. Greg also points out that the existing side of the pyramid faces southeast, making it unsuitable for wine growing. Vine cultivators are advised to use areas facing north. He also found there had been no Italian community in Gympie before World War II, and research in the land titles office indicates that in any case the land had not been owned by the people accredited to farming. Greg points out that it would be also very unlikely for would-be cultivators to go to the trouble and effort of constructing terraces when there is better and far more suitable land nearby. Terraces are not usually constructed for agricultural purposes unless there is a shortage of arable land, which is certainly not the case in Gimby. And it boggles the mind to say, who is going to use one-ton stones and place them one on top of the other in a giant pyramid just to grow wine? The Aborigines did not build any pyramids and are not known to have constructed stone terraces anywhere in Australia or to have shaped stones. If anything, they were afraid of this site and left it alone. The local indigenous original owners of the land, the elders of the sovereign Kabi nation, are claiming it to be a sacred spiritual site, and as of yet, this matter is yet to be resolved on a state and federal level. The pyramid and the entire surrounding lands are set now to be destroyed to make room for a highway. We are not only losing valuable land to development, but perhaps even history. In May of 2019, Greg Sheehy, psychic, visited the pyramid to try to decipher its past. We will leave you with his impressions. There's many graves. And the timing I'm getting is around 4,000 years ago. There's engravings on their faces. These people had engravings on their faces. And there's huge uh, columns. They worship the sun and the stars. They worked with a lot of, uh, of the universal energy. And they, uh, they worked with a lot of fire, fire elements here. There's a connection they have had here with northern New South Wales. There's another settlement in northern New South Wales, they're telling me, and there's hieroglyphics. 
on Roxham, New South Wales, probably a bit north of Sydney I'm picking up here. But there were hieroglyphics on this, but a lot of this has been taken. Uh, um, they, they did have a priest. He wore a, a white uniform and, a, and, a, and he had a pendant on him here and he wore a hat, like hat with feathers. They had spears. They were warlike, but they were peaceful. The ships remind me, oh, they look like uh, the ships like the Viking, you know, very long. And serpent energy, I guess I'm with the serpent energy here that they have, but there's sails with them as well. They were voyagers. They also told me, I'm picking up here, they landed in Canada. These people went to Canada. Coming from Phoenicia? Yeah. And the DNA, I'm seeing this now, took them down from Canada to the South Americas through Mexico. The DNA is there. Now these people, even though they're dark, they had reddish hair. Reddish hair and, and I'm seeing green eyes and that energy took them through to New Zealand. Okay. This is going back three and a half, four thousand years ago. That's what I'm seeing. There's, there's a DNA tracing it back here. And, and, the, and the people who came to this area uh, also made some in New Zealand and they came here as well as three or four ships. I can see them. So this particular place, Gimpi, were they shaping the hills? Yes, they were shaping the hills. They actually made the structure in the hills. They made the stones. They had very heavy stones, but they had a form of lifting them. I'm, I'm getting something to do with um, a sponge or a gel they made. There's something here that they moved them on a sponge or a gel and they lifted them quite easily into place and they had a lot of markings on them but they were very strong stones craftsmen. They had a primitive lift, they showed me that and they had a place of worship. Now there's a slab, a number of slabs they're showing me here uh, and there's something in these slabs with points in them like rounded stones. They might have put spears or shafts in these things here and they did a place of worship. A lot of fire around them. Very, very advanced with the universe. Have they erected those blocks? Yes. They are standing upright? Yes. But there's columns and they seem like pinnacles like this. So what was the purpose of having them, you know, standing upright? It represented the star system or the stars. There's something here to do with the stars or the star system and they worship in this, like, like a quadrant. And they worship the land. They also grew food here, grapes and uh, turnips, so I, I'm not too sure what I'm getting here. Avocado, things like this that they grew. Those blocks, were they shaping certain forms like circles? Uh, those circles and slabs, very fine slabs. Uh, they knew what they were doing, as if they laid claim to the land here. What was the purpose of slabs? Uh, I'm getting one thing is to do a sacrifice. Right, but a sacrificial... Sacrifice of, of animals? Animals. Uh, many people died because they had some sort of a... I don't know, there's some virus or a bacteria that got into them from the land, or it could be an insect or something that, that bit them. Uh, but they weren't used to it, their immune system was not used to it. They actually performed their own healing or surgery on people here. Uh, a lot to do with a large, looks like um, light, light, light stones. I'm getting light in the stones. So this could be a crystal or light stones that they used here. Why this location? 
of the truth because of, of its position in the uh, in the stars. There's something that the stars brought them to this place. They felt it was a, a, a good place energetically. Was this the most important site for them, the largest? No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. When you ask me that, I'm getting no. I'm feeling there was another site around Sydney that was, they said they went there first or they came there and went there. It's hard to tell, but there's encryptions there. Encryptions there. It's like it's, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to say Egyptian, but I'm, I can't. So there's encryptions in the stone that are aged old. What was the purpose of encryption? Is it just to describe, describe their settlement, or describe it had energy properties? Yes, it had energy properties. This place has got beautiful energy on it. They were drawn to the energy and the star system, or those guiding them from the stars, if I can say that to you, guided them here. And they navigated the world through that. Um, so there's a strong connection they have with southern Russia. Can you be more precise? Around Black Sea, maybe? Where's Ukraine? Black Sea. Okay, why? Are there any structures over there, similar in shape? When you say that, yes, there's structure in the, in the Black Sea, underneath the sea. And it's only before the flood. But they also, there's only something to do with Lemuria. They are pyramidal in shape? Pyramidal pyramids? There's round ones too, they're telling me. Round, circular. Any other connection with other parts of the world? Uh, Western Australia. Like Perth or? No, Northwest Australia. I'm getting around Broome, something called Broome. Yeah. Town called Broome. There's a structure out there. Did they have anything to do with the Aborigines, with the original yes. people of the yes, land? Yes, they did. They connected to them very, very well. They loved the land and they connected spiritually to the land and their healing because they I'm, what I'm feeling from this rock, the Aboriginal worked with the Milky Way. They worked with the spirit energy, the rainbow spirit, the serpent energy, which they well saw as healing. How did they work with it? They worked with it from their own magic of, they worked magic with this, of healing. And they knew about natural foods that healed. What was spirituality for Aborigines? Uh, the spirituality is their spirit in nature. The, their spirit, of that, uh, it's, it's almost as if the Aboriginal can see his ancestors, see the faces of his ancestors in the rocks. He, he knows who they are, where they are. They were able to travel yes. through space yes. with their spirits? Yes. I'm actually getting some form of uh, interdimensional consciousness or, or, or some hole or a tunnel. It's interdimensional. And they, they got a lot of connection here to the Pleiades. And the Phoenicians, did they have the same capability? No, 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 no. Okay. No, 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 no. Pust, pust. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. They dealt with beautiful, white, strong energy. Um, they dealt with the ancestors who brought us here. They were travelers in time. The ship represented the, the craft that brought us here. Who brought us here? There was more than one. They came from more than one place. You mentioned Pleiades. Pleiades. Zeta Reticuli is strong. Uh, and there's something here was serious. 
Let's start with the Pleiades. Can you describe them? Peaceful. Physically? Tall. Humanoids? Yes. Beautiful? Uh, porcelain. And Zeta? Small. How um, small? Humanoid, but small. How small? Uh, when you ask me that, four foot, four foot, eleven, five foot two. Who else? The third one? What I'm saying is, uh, I, I, I'm getting uh, tall white people, tall white ones. Something called tall white ones. Nordic. Aliens. Huh? Aliens. Uh, no, I don't like the word alien. Aryans. Aryans, yes, not Aryan. alien. I don't like alien. Aryans. They are a brotherhood. Aryans. There's a galactic council here and there's insects on this council. And there's something to do with either the um, Ryan Mantis. How about Orion? Orion Belt. The Orion Belt is part of them, but it's not their main one. They said that belonged to others. Have Egyptian pyramids anything to do with the Orion Belt? Yes. What? Builders? Excuse me. You're going too quick for me. They're designed the same as the Orion Belt in, in the, the as above, so below. What? Tep Zepi, Zep Tepi, something like this. As above, so below. They're designed as the Orion Belt is designed. Bosnian pyramids. Same. Different, but older. Much older. By. 22,000 years. By who? Three civilizations. Each one did their part, then they left. Then another one came down after. There's three levels of civilization in the pyramids. The purpose? To help humanity through this and to teach humanity about love and harmony. These are white beings. They gave us the tools and left the tools for us to discover them when we are ready. Spiritually ready. So have they been in use? Excuse me? Have they been in use, the Bosnian pyramids? Yes, I have. Have they been in use, the pyramids? Yes, I have. From uh, the beginning? The Greeks or the Romans were there at one point. Um, but they said here they, they, there are some extinct animals that were around that may look like reptiles at one point. I'm getting triceratops. What's their purpose today? The purpose today is to wait for people like you and to build them up and expose them to the energies of the universe and the universes of the of what they planted around the earth to come together like the healing that you're saying the clean energy because this is the part of it and there's a return of these people from the space to come to us when we're ready so everything is ready all this has been fine-tuned as part of our program of humanity it's now it's now there's some connection here with Japan. And um, underwater um, or on the ground? Uh, yeah. Okinawa. There's something off Okinawa. You need to look at that, telling me. It's big steps. Is that true? Yes. And Cuba. But they said a lot of it came from Russia, or what is known as Russia. So the action 
there's very strong, if you don't mind, I don't mind. the constellation of Taurus. Why Taurus? Connection with Sumerians? Avatar, Buddha. Buddha. The Buddha. He was Avatar. There were 16 Avatars. There is pyramid, they tell me, in Canada and North America. One in Alaska. Near the end of Alaska, near the, was it Bering Straits? There's a military constellation around it. What was the purpose of that pyramid? Something to do with the magnetic north, or was the magnetic north? It aligned with the magnetic north at the time it was built to align the, the I don't know, uh, ley lines or something here was anchoring ley lines north and south, east and west. All the pyramids were interlinked, interconnected within 100 miles of one another along a longitude, a longitude. Forming a network? Yes. Collecting the energy maybe? Collecting the energy, healing energy and, co and connecting us to other dimensions because we, we, we connected to them very strongly and they're telling me all tribes did it. They had their own avatar because the avatars were meant to connect to every tribe in every nation in every country and our DNA was changed many times. And they're telling me, if you don't, uh, what I'm getting here that the Aboriginal was a selective DNA species. The, the people in Europe were selected, the people in Africa were selected, they're different. People in Asia selected different because our DNA was was part of this, and we're coming together. Did this DNA come to our planet? Was it brought, and then through genetical engineering? Uh, the DNA genome is not on this planet. We do not belong. We did not evolve. We were created. And the creation we can locate at uh, the time of creation and the place. There are different parts of creation because as, as they tell me, as I said to you, there are different, different peoples on the world and we're created at different times. Our DNA is slightly different, so it came from different areas, even though we're the same. You mentioned 16 avatars. Yes. One, two, three. Who were they? Krishna. Krishna. The Christ. The Christ. Zorasta. Uh, Mithras. You're going to name Mithras. cannot see the others, but they tell me there's 16. Sumerians, when did they start their civilization? The Sumerian civilization started around 5000 BC, but the Sumerians did not start, then they started about 450,000 BC. They weren't Sumerian. So who were they? Anu, Anan, Anan, uh, I'm getting a, a, um, 
Kai Ananaki Ananaki. Okay. Who built Giza pyramids? Not us, not humans. Uh, it wasn't the Egyptians. It was the civilization they knew that was connected to them, that came from their area after, uh, before the flood. This was, they're telling me that it, the, the Giza is a plateau, it was man-made plateau. They had to do that to, to protect them from the flood that was to come. And they're saying there's something here called Nomos under the water of, of part of the first creation that they said they were aquatic and they're under the, under the, under the uh, tunnels under the uh, tunnels of the Sphinx were water and the whole thing is a labyrinth and they're saying this is what you're going to find there's new, uh, a new spirit in there and there's a crystal here that they're telling me you hold it and the pages turn and there's 12 levels under the pyramids which one? Giza? Is there a connection to Atlantis? Yes. To Atlantis? Yes what is the connection? The people who survived Atlantis came to these other places. How about the Dogon tribe in when Africa? When you say Dogon, I'm getting Nomos. Uh, dog, Dogon, dog, Dogstar, uh, dog Sirius. Apparently they have a chanting, a dance they have that, that, that they have for a long time that talks about Sirius A and Sirius B, the elliptical paths. Yes? So are you saying... Uh, they knew about it. And they knew about our genesis. So we were visited? Yes, we were. And there's many pyramids in Africa that we haven't explored yet. South Africa. There are many, thousands of stone circles. Pyramids. 200,000 years old, at least. And I'm getting that there was, uh, uh, under one of these pyramids is a mastodon. From the Ice Age. Who is Peter? Who is Peter? From where? I don't know. They're telling me to ask you who is Peter. It's your show time. <laughs> I don't know. Well, you're going to tell me about a Peter with you. I'm sorry. Okay. Uh, Why are you here today? There's a coalescence of our energy. We met you for a very important reason because our future is tied in with you, all of us. There's a coalescence. You'll be coming on stage and you're going to be known as the master and there are very, it's like lieutenants helping you along the way here and you're going into more Europe. You're, you're building up this spiritual empire and it's coalescing. This will take you 12 years. There will be another war, they're telling me. Limited. But they want you to walk strongly with your legs and understand that you are wrapped in white and love. You're very divine. And I've been sent to tell you this. You're the ambassador. I cannot do any more.
Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Unsolved Mysteries of the World. If you enjoyed this episode, remember to find us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, or your other favorite podcast directory, and subscribe, rate, and review. We would really appreciate your support. If you haven't already, join us on Facebook to enhance this episode with photos, illustrations, and lively discussion. Look for our suggested links and do share this podcast with others. Perhaps you or someone you know will have a solution to this mystery. This podcast is created by Cold Rasta Studios and includes music and sound effects by John Savoy, Albert Ray, Gerardo Garcia Jr., Rana Szilard, Madia Cupelli, Alex Lisi, Martin Kahlberg, and Adrian von Ziegler.